You're listening to a Cripple and Co. production. We call it slicking the bean, choking the chicken, giving yourself a hand, auditioning finger puppets. There's a million and one names for the old five-finger shuffle, and yet hundreds of millions of people are unable to sauce the taco due to disability, aging, or illness. That's where we come in, if you'll pardon the phrase. At Bumpin', we've created the world's first accessible sex toy, so people with limited mobility, hand issues, and disabilities can celebrate Palm Sunday just like everyone else. If you agree that everyone deserves sexual pleasure, help us spread the self-love and fund an orgasm for those in need. Give the gift of the big O at getbumpin.com. That's G-E-T-B-U-M-P-N dot com. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by clonawilly.com. Clonawilly and Clonopussy are do-it-yourself molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a sex toy at home. All materials are ethically sourced and 100% body safe. If you shop at clonawilly.com right now and use the promo code DARKPOD at checkout, you can get 20% off site-wide. Wow! That's a deal that cannot be cloned. I talked to one of the representatives the other day, and they are more than willing to answer any questions you have about how to make your own clone willy or clone pussy, how to use the kit. They're so, so willing to go on this journey of cloning a willy or cloning a pussy with you, and they're super nice and super responsive to any concerns. So if you want to pick up your own clone willy or clone a pussy kit right now, head over to clonawilly.com and use promo code DARKPOD, that's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout right now. And remember, this is a deal that cannot be cloned. Hey Andrew, how are you? Hey Kristen. I'm okay, but if I'm really honest, I haven't been doing super great lately. I'm kind of super, really, really down. Oh no, I'm sorry to hear that. What? Well, you and I talk all the time. We talk every day. And you know I've been thinking about going to therapy, but I've been mm-hmm. to therapists before and I'm afraid that a therapist wouldn't understand all my disability stuff. And you know how much I love talking about disability, right? Yeah, I hear you have like a whole podcast about it. Right? I mean, yeah. I talk about it all the time, everywhere. And I'm just yeah. worried that I don't want to explain to a therapist, like, what is ableism? What is disability? Like, I don't want to do that before we get into my stuff, you know? Yeah, that's fair. You shouldn't have to, like, fully educate a therapist before starting a therapeutic process. And I think that's really hard because, honestly, you deserve support from someone who gets it. You get it? You're my best, you, like, you're my best friend. You get it? What do you think I should do? I mean, I think you should find a disability-informed support person to help you work through this if anyone listening to this is interested i'm actually offering disability informed support for 40 dollars per session whoa whoa 40 dollars a session that's super cheap the last time i checked one session was like over 100 bucks but we can still talk about disability stuff right oh absolutely like everything from like physical changes in your body to ableism and exploring internalized ableism 
grief that comes with disability, chronic pain, all that good, terrible stuff that so many of us live experience. It's so fun, isn't it? It's it's so great. Yes. And I, I know you also do, you also offer support for non-disabled people too, right? Yeah, I do support for able-bodied and non-disabled people as well because really, I mean, everyone gets sick or experiences illness or vulnerability at some time in their life. And well, that's a different experience than living with chronic disability. I think it's all very related. And if you're going through any sort of life change where you're having grief related to bodily change or body difference, I'm more than happy to support you with that as well. I think everybody deserves and needs affordable support. I think that it's such a great thing you're offering and I want to make sure that all the lovely listeners of Disability After Dark can reach you. How do they do that? Okay, well, right now they can reach me by email. It's Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-E-N dot Williams, W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S one zero at gmail.com and you can email me there to ask me questions or uh, let me know if you'd like more information or you can go straight to booking a support session with me. Awesome. Well, I, I can't I can't speak any more highly of this amazing thing. I'm so excited that there's finally disability-centered support for stuff like ableism and for stuff like internalized ableism and all the stuff that we go through that we never get to talk about. And thank you so much for offering it and for putting yourself out there, Kristen. Aw, thanks, Andrew. I hope you feel better soon. Me too. Thanks. Bye. Bye. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. I want to tell you all about a cool project that my friends over at the Sex Information and Education Council of Canada, or CCAN, are doing. And you'll want to listen closely, because this project is all about sex. CCAN is developing resources for service providers to improve sexual health promotion for autistic and disabled youth, and they need your help. If you are a service provider like a teacher, doctor, occupational therapist, physical therapist, speech-language pathologist, social worker, personal support worker, or maybe you work in the community, they want to hear from you. They want to know what you need to promote sexual health with the autistic and disabled youth you support. Go check out the online survey they're doing right now at www.inclusivesexualhealth.ca. But CCAN doesn't just want to hear from service providers. Are you an autistic and disabled person between 16 and 24 years old? CCAN is doing focus groups between September 20th and September 23rd to learn about the sexual health information and resources that would be most helpful to you. Maybe you have an interesting or awkward dating or relationship experience you want to tell them about. Or maybe you have some tips for service providers you want to share. Go to www.ccan.org and scroll down to the latest news to get more info. You can also email inclusivesexualhelp at ccan.org to learn more about the project. 
And not to worry, listeners, all of this information will be available in the show notes of today's episode. And now, on to the show. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled, we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends, and thank you so much for clicking on this brand new, albeit a little bit delayed episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I'm, of course, your disabled daddy. Let us get comfy, cozy, and crippled. And get your popcorn ready, because we're in for another episode of Great Flicks and Joysticks on our theme month this month. So, get ready for that. Um, let's uh, get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get right into it. Before we get right into it, I want to say so sorry about the lateness this week. I normally release episodes on Saturday, but this week procrastination got the better of me. Plus, I had some gut stuff happening. You all have heard me talk at length about my IBS. Well, it struck with a vengeance this weekend, and I am currently, as I'm recording this, eating salty crackers and drinking lots of water. And hoping that I don't poop myself. So that's where I am right now. The joys of disability, right? So, um, yeah, I, I'm sorry that I got it too late, but maybe we'll move it to Sundays because Sunday does give me more time to prep. I might do that because it does give me an extra day to prep. So if all of a sudden you see the, the show coming out on Sundays now, and if you're a Patreon, you'll get it every Saturday. I'm not sure yet, but we'll see how I feel about it, but, um, thank you for being patient, and, uh, thank you for allowing my disability to get in the way a little bit this week, and, um, let's get to it, friends. So, for our second entry of Great Flicks and Joysticks for the theme month, I wanted to do a movie that I had been putting off watching, because I was against it for a long time. I had issues with the way one of the actors talked about disability in and around the film, I just was like, oh no, it's full, I can't watch it, I'm gonna not watch it. But then I was like, I could hate watch it, and so I, I initially started watching this movie, I, I, I was gonna hate watch it, I was ready to be like, oh no, I'm gonna watch it with hate. But I gotta say, this movie kind of turned around in the middle, and I was like, oh no, I sort of like it, oh no. There are a lot of problems with it, there's a lot of inspiration porn in it. Um, but I still like it. And the movie we're going to watch today is the dramatized true story of Philip Lacoste and Dell, played by Brian Cranston from, well, you know him from Breaking Bad, and Kevin Hart from, like, every The Rock movie in recent years. And, um, both of these actors are problematic for different things. They've said different things. They've done different things that are problematic, but particularly Brian Cranston's problematic for 
saying how he felt about dis- people with disabilities in this film, which we'll get to later. But uh, we're going to play the trailer now, and let's crack into the film. And if you want to follow along and watch it with me as I review it, we, you can do so on the Netflix. It's on the Netflix. So I'm going to play the trailer now, and we'll go from there. I need assistance. Well, don't your arms work? They don't. You can move your mouth. As can you. So You need to prove you're looking for work. I've been looking, trust me. Three signatures by tomorrow, or you can tell it to the judge. Tell me about a time when you worked hard to solve a problem. It's morning, getting up. We're gonna find you someone you like. Let me be your arms and your legs. I love that. All right. Penthouse. You need to wait your turn. Relax, it's not a holdup. Just sign this one, please. How would I sign it? I don't know. Slowly. <sighs> what, don't your arms work? They don't. You can move your mouth. As can you. I need assistance. How much does it pay? Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. My bad, my bad, man. You are not qualified for this position. The buckle, buckle! Have you ever changed a catheter? No. Pinch the head, insert. Mm. I can't feel it. Oh, well, I can't. You want to feed your soul? Then listen to its clean. Think, think, think about what you're trying to do to me. It's amazing, ain't it? It sounds just like her. Yeah, it's uncanny. He was rich as Jay-Z? No, richer. Which car is yours? All of these to the right. Oh, my God. They're not practical. Exactly. You can have any girl you want. What about this lady with all the bow ties? I'll be perfect for each other. You can't move your body and she can't move her face. Surprise! I specifically said nothing for my birthday. I'm sorry you gotta have a surprise party in your huge mansion. Some of us got real problems. I'm fighting to see my son. And whose fault is it? Is it yours or is the world out to get you? Are you mad? You wanna break this big ass bottle of wine? Yeah! What you want to do the ball? Ah, ah. What? Dell made a mess. So Okay, so that was the trailer. Let's crack into it. And I realized that I forgot to mention what film we're watching today. If you couldn't tell by the title or by my my intro of the film, we're watching The Upside with Brian Cranston and Kevin Hart. So let's crack into it then. Within the very first frame of the film, there's a title card that says, Based on a True Story. And immediately after seeing this, my very first thought was, well, if it was based on a true story, why didn't they choose a disabled actor? 
it was really annoying to me because it was based on a true story, which I'll talk about at the end, and I'll talk a little bit about what they based the movie on at the end of the film, at the end of the podcast, rather. But I um, was really annoyed to see based on a true story. Well, if it was based on a true story, you could have hired a disabled actor. But anyway, that notwithstanding, the first scene in the movie is we see the police pull over two men in a car, one who is a caregiver and one is disabled. And the police say, uh, there's a chair in the car, and I thought this was particularly interesting because it shows how inept the police are when it comes to dealing with disabled people. They often don't know what to do and they don't know how to navigate dealing with disabled folks, and it reminded me of a time when I was in college, my right caster of my power chair broke, and so my wheel fell off, and I I was walking home from a bar night, and my wheel fell off, and then I managed to flag down a policeman who was really kind, but had no idea what to do, and no idea how to help me, and was like, uh... You're in a wheelchair. What do, what do I do? And I was like, "Well, you got to. I got to get home." So, so seeing the police in the scene be like, "Oh, there's a wheelchair in the car," was just brought back that memory for me. And just, and I've had to deal with the police for all their disability stuff later in my life, and it just surprises me how unaware they are of disability and how they're not really sure what to do. So then the disabled guy fakes a seizure so they can get out of a problem with the cops. And I I know that all of us at some point in our disabled lives have used a disability card to get out of sticky situations. And I definitely have been in in that kind of thing where I wanted to use my disability to get out of something and to get out of, like, doing something that I didn't want to do. So we've definitely been there. But because Brian Cranston isn't actually... A disabled person, him faking a seizure for the scene, felt even more ableisty than I think I was ready for. Knowing that he wasn't actually a quadriplegic, knowing that he's not actually disabled, knowing that he's not actually a wheelchair user, made him having a seizure just feel that much worse. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I love that so much. It just felt super ableisty to me. The next scene, we see the disabled character, whose name we don't even know at this point. We see the disabled character looking for attendant care. And his assistant says, we're going to find you someone, someone that you like. And this phrase made me think about how, for so many disabled people, choosing a caregiver is not an option. For instance, where I live, I don't get to know who my staff who who the staff are before I meet them uh, and before I have to do care with them. I'm just kind of told that they're here and that they're going to do care. I don't have an option to decide who I want. I don't I don't have an option to hire who I want. They're hired by the agency that helps me with my care, and I don't get a say, and I think a lot of us don't get a say, and I think we need to see those stories too where – you don't get a say in who's hired and how they're hired. And I think we need to see a lot of those and we don't see enough of that. And I think this movie makes it seem like everyone can hire their own staff. And a lot of movies do this. And the same thing could be said for, um, 
the fundamentals of caring where um they again interviewed him and that really having staff that you like and that you get along with is a really big rarity and I think it's important to bring that up and throughout the movie they also call the attendant care people instead of calling them attendants they call them life auxiliaries which in my opinion sounds really silly and is something that I will never ever call my attendant I'll never ever be so bougie and so rich and this character is very rich the disabled guy is very rich and I would never call my attendant my life auxiliary. I might say personal support worker. I might say attendant care worker. I might say caregiver. I might even say friend tendant. But I would never, ever, ever say, I need my life auxiliary, please. Like, what the fuck is that? And like I said, the guy is really rich. He lives in a penthouse. He's got a lot of money. He has cooks and staff and people that do all the stuff for him um and i i I was kind of annoyed because i was like this guy has a lot of money he's really wealthy we need stories of disabled people that are not destitute because we often see those too in hollywood hollywood does this thing with with disability where the person's either really well off like we saw in me before you or they're like destitute, and I can't think of examples, but I know they're out there. So, and like th- these are the only two narratives that we see. We need kind of disabled people that are just in the middle of all that, and not necessarily rich, not necessarily poor, but somewhere in the middle. I would say that my experience as a disabled person means that I'm somewhere in the middle. I certainly feel like I'm somewhere in the middle of all that. Definitely not rich, definitely not poor, um, but somewhere in the middle. So the next scene we see, we see a montage of people they're hiring for the disabled guy, who we finally learn his name is Philip Lacoste. For some reason in this movie, they don't really tell you their, their names right away. So for like 10 minutes, you're like, who are these people? <laughs> why are we Why are we paying attention to them? And so they do a montage as they're looking for attendant care workers. And one guy says, I don't see disability. I see this ability. And I was like, ew, if anybody came in to be hired by me and they said, I don't see your disability, right there I would stop them and throw them the fuck out of my house. I'd be like, what are you even saying? Get out. What is this? Um, but it was far too accurate. And then they had one guy say, let me be your arms and legs wherever I end, you begin, and some bullshit like that. And there are so many people who do this in interviews when we're talking about care. Um, and I've heard from friends who had people just say really weird things during interviews. And none of us want this. I want to know that you'll wipe my ass. I want to know that you'll give me care when I need it. I want to know that you'll be there for me when I need things. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily want you to say all the right things. I want you to be honest and then we'll go from there. That's what I want in an interview when I do an interview. So they do all these hiring interviews and we see all this stuff and people say how much they want to help him, how important it is for them to be there for him and all this stuff. And as they're doing these interviews, I noticed that Mr. Lacoste, played by Brian Cranston, is sitting in a permobile power chair and I was kind of angry because 
I am sitting in a Permobile power chair. I was angry that the company of Permobile let Brian Cranston crip up like that. I have a Permobile chair. You could have hired me for the upside. I would have been more than happy to be in the upside. Come on, Netflix, hire me. Oh yeah, and if you're watching along, you can watch. I, I don't know. You can watch along on Netflix. So watch along there if you want to. I might have said that before, but I recorded the intro the other day, and I'm recording this one now. So I might have already said that. So if I did, oops. Um, so all of the attendant applicants are saying all the right things to Mr. Lacoste and his assistant. They're saying all the things that they think the client wants to hear. And I think that's important because um, I think that's important to note because you never really know how an attendant's going to be until you're working with them on the day. And it, it's so different from what's happening during the interview. And I think that's important for people to remember. What I'm getting in the interview is not who you're going to be when I need you to be my my attendant. So... You know, I think we have to talk about that. And who you are on the day is not who you are in the interview. So then, the a future attendant, who will later be named Dell, but we don't know his name at this point, he comes in and he barges in during an ongoing interview that they're having with a, with a future attendant also. And he asks... Brian Cranston's character, Mr. Lacoste, to sign his employment forms because he's an ex-con who needs a job. And Mr. Lacoste says, how would I sign your form? And this kind of bugged me because why would the random guy that just came in not know that you couldn't sign a form? A lot of disabled people who use wheelchairs and who have partial paralysis can sign things and there are different ways people with disabilities can sign things so I like that this guy didn't assume that um, didn't assume that he couldn't sign something and he went up right to him and said can you sign my form and so after he asked that Brian Cranston's character kind of looks at him and he goes oh what was that like for don't judge me I didn't judge you and I, I like that too. I like that, like, it shows, Brian Cranston kind of shows that he, he also can be an asshole too, and I kind of like that. Because, and I like that the future attendant, whose name is Dell, Dell kind of calls him out and is like, don't judge me. I didn't judge you for being disabled. And this is like their first interaction. So right away, Mr. Lacoste hires him and he knows he's an ex-con, and he's like, okay, you're hired. He doesn't really ask any major questions about care. He doesn't really ask, like, what his what his experience of care has been. He just says, okay, you have the position. And I think, you know, you can't really do that in real life. That's not really how it happens. You have to have a much bigger talk about care and needs. You can't really just hire someone on the spot. It's really rare that this happens. Sometimes we're in a jam and we need some friend tendons to help us, so we'll put out calls for care. But usually, you wouldn't just be like, you're hired. You do some more thorough checks. You do some more um, 
thorough background checks into who you're hiring so you can feel safe. You wouldn't just say after one five-minute interview that you're hired. So then Dell says, Dell realizes that he's going to be a, a caregiver or a life auxiliary as they call him. And he's like, oh no, I don't want to be your servant. And this kind of bothered me because attendants are not ever your servant. They're never your servant. They are someone that work that works with you. They're a team with you. And if you see them as your servant, that's a problem. And I think them saying this also creates a really um, bad example for the audience. Attendant care workers are not servants. They're friends. They're not, Well, they're not even friends. They, they work for you. They can become friends, but they work for you. But they're still human beings, and they deserve to be treated as such. And so this scene kind of rubbed me the wrong way in terms of disability. So Philip Lacoste offers him the job. He says he's pretty sure he'll take it, but he needs some time to think about it. And you you see him, the attendant, looking for work, looking for um, a job, looking... He's down on his luck. He needs... He's got a son and a wife and a ex-girlfriend who they have a problematic, tense relationship and you can see him looking for work and all this stuff. And I felt really kind of annoyed by this too because they did the same kind of thing in The Fundamentals of Caring where the guy was down and out. He needed a job. He needed work. And I was like, could we not see a narrative where somebody wants to come in and do care, wants to come in and help somebody, wants to come in and do this stuff for disabled people. We didn't really we don't really see this in Hollywood. We always see care as like the last resort. And I think that it just it was something that bothered me throughout the film. And then at one point we see Mr. Lacoste, whose first name is Philip. We see him lying in bed looking up at his life, kind of thinking about how he can't move how he had an accident, how he's unable to to do anything. He doesn't say anything, but you can kind of ascertain all this from just his his the look on his face. And he just kind of looks up at his life and thinks about who he is. And I've done that. I've had those moments where you're lying in bed and no one else is there, and you're like, fuck, I wish I could just get up right now. I wish I could just do this right now on my own. I wish I could do all these things. I've definitely been in that situation and I've definitely, definitely done that. So, Dell comes back for his first day, and he gets told by Philip's assistant that it's a live-in position. And he's like, okay, cool. And he moves in, like, that second. And I was like, wow, wouldn't you want to check the person out first or have a discussion before they just move into your house and start doing care? Like, again, I think they did this part really, really fast. And I know it's for Hollywood, and I know they were trying to, like, really get the inspiration porny stuff happening. And, oh, believe me, they get there. But I would have loved to see some honesty around... You wouldn't just be like, oh, it's a living position? Cool, you're hired, let's go. Like, that's not... Again, that just doesn't feel honest. And that's not something that I, as a disabled person, would do. I wouldn't just let this stranger that I don't know immediately start living in my house. I wouldn't. I just wouldn't. And then 
the same kind of walkthrough thing they did in The Fundamentals of Caring, where the mom walks Paul Rudd's character through the house. They do the same thing here with Philip's assistant, who's played by Nicole Kidman. Um, and sh- and so she walks Dell, played by Kevin Hart, um, around the house and is like, here's what you're going to be doing. Here's what's required of you. Here's what we expect, blah, blah. And I found this really, again, really annoying. Why is an able-bodied person telling him what to do? Why isn't the disabled person giving him giving him the rules and giving him the lay of the house and telling him what needs to be done? Why is an able-bodied person telling him what to do? And at this point, he's only met Philip once. They've barely spoken to each other. And you're going to let this guy, this is the guy who's going to work for you? Again, it just didn't feel very realistic to me. I felt like it was super problematic. And that, all those things, if I'm going to have you taking care of me, it's my job to show you what to do as a disabled person, not someone else. So then the assistant, who's played by Nicole Kidman, walks Dell into the room where Philip is and says, okay, you got to pick him up and put him in his wheelchair. Go. And she gives him no training, no discussion, no... She doesn't even tell him to wear gloves. He walks in with no hello from the client, no how are you to the client, no talking between Philip and Dell happen at all. And I found that to be really, like, unrealistic. They would talk to each other, and so he picks him up without washing his hands, without wearing gloves, without any kind of, like, preamble, just picks him up, puts him in his wheelchair. And weirdly, at this point, Brian Cranston's character also doesn't talk this whole time, and I felt that to be super odd, because he was talking during the interview, but... He didn't. He doesn't talk here for like five minutes, and then at one point he almost falls out of his wheelchair, and he still doesn't talk, and he doesn't say like, "Yo, I'm falling. Yo, I need help." If I, if I was gonna fall out of my wheelchair, I would be. I would be like, "Hey, excuse me, I'm falling out of my chair. What do I do?" Um, and we heard him talk like five minutes ago during the interview. So why isn't he talking here? It just felt very weird. And then finally. Philip asks Dell, have you ever taken care of anybody? And all I could think was, wow, this is something you definitely should have asked him before you just flippantly decided to hire him. You should have asked him this right away, and you didn't. Like, these are things you should definitely ask before you employ the person. So then we meet the physical therapist, whose name is Maggie, and Dell tries immediately to flirt with her, and he, she says, oh, hi, I'm the PT. And he goes, more like the PYT, like, you know, pretty young thing. And I just thought this was really inappropriate. If I hired you as my attendant and my physical therapist came in there and you started flirting with the physical therapist in front of me and I had just met both of you, that would be really inappropriate, and I, I, would, I would definitely talk to you. But for some reason... Philip lets him just flirt with her and it's fine and he's really like really not appropriate and then so after that happens the physical therapist says to Dell have you ever used a catheter before and he's like uh no what is that and so she shows him how to do a catheter on Philip and I like that they showed a catheter in the movie I like that they showed that but I don't know if a physical therapist would put a catheter in 
somebody. I don't really think that's what they do. I'm wondering if any physical therapists listening, have you done catheterizations for your clients before? Is that something you normally do? I don't really think that's standard practice for PTs. But if you're a PT out there, let me know. So then you see Dell get squeamish and he's like, oh no, I'm not going to do that. I'm never going to, I won't ever do that. No way, no way. And then they also teach him about digital stimulation, which if you don't know what that is, that's where a lot of people with disabilities or spinal cord injury, um, and sometimes not spinal cord injury, but typically for people with spinal cord injury have to have their rectum stimulated so they can, they can shit basically. And so... You have to put your finger up their rectum and dig out the poo or or stimulate the anus, or stimulate the nerves in the, in the rectum. So Dell is like, oh no, that's so gross. I'm not going to do that. No way. No way. And he adamantly is, he adamantly is like, I'm not going to do it. No way. But then I guess he comes around to it because the next scene, Philip says... I have a do not resuscitate order and I don't want any extraordinary measures for you to save my life. I want to just go. I want to die. And I just thought, fuck, can we see a disabled character that wants to live? Can we see a disabled character that wants to be here? Can we see a disabled character that has a drive to be part of society? And I just think that this part fed too well into the tragedy narrative and like being disabled is a tragedy and it just it reeked of inspiration porn and it bothered me because I want for me and again I've not been in an accident that's not my experience but I certainly don't want to die I love my life even though disability can be really hard at times I love my life and I'm proud of what I what I have even when disability is fucking hard I'm proud of it so I think seeing him say I want to I want to die, I want to go, don't save my life is really 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 just annoying. It's a trope that happens so much. It happened to me before you. It happened here. Like it's just so I just don't love it. And I wish they would stop doing this in Hollywood when we depict people with disabilities. So then we see a scene where Dell has moved in, everything is good, but he's late for a call with Philip. And he sleeps in, and so then the assistant, Yvonne, played by Nicole Kidman again. So Nicole Kidman comes in to go get him, and he's like, you're late, why aren't you getting him up? He needs to get up, why aren't you getting him up? And um, I was again annoyed, why is the able-bodied person calling all the shots? Why can't Philip pick up the phone and call him and be like, yo, where are you? Let's go. Or text him and be like, yo, come on, I need to get up. What's what's the hold up? Why is somebody who is able-bodied calling all the shots for him? And I know he has money and all these people that do work for him, and he's super rich, this character. But I feel like if he wants something done as the client, he should call his attendant and say, here's what I need from you. So then we see Dell going to shower, going to shower Philip. And they're in the shower, and he's helping him with his hair, but he's not wearing gloves, which I feel is so weird for me. Every time my attendants come in the room, I make them wash their hands immediately, put on gloves, 
and change their gloves frequently throughout my booking so that I can be safe and they can be safe. Gloves protect me from them and them from me. And I constantly make them wear gloves, especially if they're going to be touching my genitals and touching my body parts. I want to know that they're wearing gloves, especially if we're, if we're doing a shower. And the fact that he doesn't wear gloves here is just inaccurate and weird. And I didn't, I didn't love seeing that. And they did this a bunch of times in the film a little bit. And I was just like, that's not, that's not how any of this works. So the next scene is they're going out somewhere and they're in Philip's fancy parking garage where he has a bunch of different cars. Um, it's like seven cars. And Dull says, wow, these cars are really fancy. What are you doing with these cars? Um, and he goes, oh, we're going to sell them. And he says, we're use, we use a wheelchair van now. And Dell was like, yeah, but the wheelchair van has no style. We need to get you in one of these cars. And so the next scene, they cut away to Dell and Phil, Philip in one of his fancy cars. But they don't show where they put his power wheelchair. They don't show him trying to carry him in the car. They don't show any of the care that's required for... Um, this to happen and I felt like that was inaccurate if you're going to try to bring put somebody who is severely paralyzed into a fancy car I want to see how that's done and I feel like the cutaway is again proof that Brian Cranston is able-bodied and could just get up out of the wheelchair and go into the car for this scene and that really bothered me I wanted to see as a disabled person, I wanted to see these transfers take place. I think these are also things that are really important for an audience to see somebody do. And a real live disabled person would need to be transferred. And had they hired a real live disabled person for this role, that's what would have had to be done. And I would have loved to have seen that. Okay, so in the next scene, we see Philip is sleeping and he starts choking in his sleep and we see through his dream state a little bit that he's remembering his accident and we see that he got disabled from a, from a parachuting accident and you hear him kind of gurgling and choking and then Kevin Hart comes in to see what's wrong and he sees that he needs to breathe and he goes to get him his oxygen and Philip is... is is miming like, no, no, I don't want to breathe. Don't give me the oxygen. I want to die. Let me go. And Dell is like, if you don't breathe right now, I'm going to kiss you and give you mouth to mouth. And then Philip laughs. And then the next scene is Dell gets Philip in his chair. And Philip says, I live with a lot of neurogenic pain and I, I need, I need something to, to take the pain away. And Dell says, I'm going to help you. And the next scene is, Dell is rolling him a joint and is like, try this. And Philip is like, I've tried weed before. It doesn't really work for me. But I guess I'll try again. And I thought, doesn't Philip have enough money to get his own weed? Why is Dell going into the city to get him weed when Philip is so rich that I'm sure he has like edibles or gummies or something there? I had questions about this. I was like, why is Dell going to get him weed why can't philip get his own weed or have a stash of weed there it just it felt really weird but anyway they get high together 
they get high together, and I like this part of the story, because I've gotten high with attendance in my day, and it's it's fun sometimes to do that with attendance. It doesn't happen really a lot anymore, but I, I got high with my with staff in, in back in the day, for sure I did. And then, of course, as they're getting high, because it wouldn't be a Hollywood disability movie if this didn't happen, Dell asks Philip how it happened and how he became disabled. He didn't. He doesn't say how did you become disabled. He says, "What happened, man? Like what happened?" And I was so angry with this, and I, of course, I expected this, but I was like, "Can we have one fucking disability movie where this isn't a question?" Where they're not asked this as part of the the plot, as part of the story. Why are they asked this? Why? Why? It just was really annoying. But what I would have liked Dell to ask is something a little bit different. I would have liked him to ask, instead of what happened to you, wouldn't it be great if he asked, what does it feel like to be disabled? Does it feel different than when you were able-bodied? Does it feel... Tell me how it feels. I would have, I would have really appreciated if he had asked that question. And if anybody out there is making a Hollywood film around disability and you want to have them ask real questions that make sense, instead of asking what happened to you, ask the, ask, have the character ask how disability feels. I would love that. That'd be great. And so, as he's telling the story, Philip says that sometimes before his day is, quote, a jumble of other people's hands, end quote. And I tell you, when he said that, I was like, wow, that's literally my experience. I felt so seen when he said that, and I felt so supported when he said that, because my day is often a jumble of hands, and there are moments before people come in to wake me up before they start touching me and caring for me that I kind of of just sit back and revel in my own body before I have to deal with care. And that's knowing that my day is often a jumble of people's hands is really, really hard to contend with sometimes. And so when Philip said this, I felt really, really seen. So they're walking around New York, they're getting high together, things are really good, and then they, go, they decide they go to get a hot dog from, like, a hot dog place, and the hot dog server talks to Dell, not to Philip, and I thought, ugh, this is such a tired trope, like, I wish that, I know that this happens to us all the time, where they don't talk to us, but I was tired of seeing this in film, because it just felt like... They were checking the boxes for the most obvious, obtuse disability representation, and they did this here. The server doesn't talk to Philip, and then it's like, oh, sorry, I'll talk to you when he's called out on it, and then he talks to him, and it's fine. But it just was really, really tiring to see, because we see it so much in Hollywood depictions of disability film. So as they're eating the hot dog, Philip says he feels invisible. When he says he felt invisible, I was angry because I was like, 
I was like, I often feel invisible as a disabled person in media, and you, Brian Cranston, stole an opportunity from a disabled person to act in this film and not feel invisible. So I was like a bit annoyed at the character and at Brian Cranston. I was annoyed at Brian Cranston throughout this whole film, and I'll talk a little bit about what he said more specifically at the end. But I was really annoyed every time he said that he felt invisible. I was like, yeah, me as an actual disabled person also feels invisible. You fucking asshole. You stole a role from me or another disabled person who could totally have made this more real, grounded in reality, and you didn't let us do that, fucking Brian Granson. God. So the next scene is Dell is helping Philip with something, and he's sitting in Philip's wheelchair. This is really rare. If you're my attendant, I probably wouldn't let you sit in my wheelchair. But if I'm close with you, and I really like working with you, and we're kind of, we're, we're friend tendons, I probably would let you. But it doesn't really happen very often, and they don't really know each other that well yet. So I wouldn't be super comfortable with a random attendant sitting in my wheelchair. But I think they were doing this to show that there was a comfortability with them. They were getting close to each other. It was kind of happening. And so, but it is really rare. You don't often see attendant care workers sitting in their clients' wheelchairs. So then they start talking about business ideas and Dell says, why can't they make self-changing catheters? And I, as somebody who uses catheters every single day, I was like, yeah, they should really make self-changing catheters. How great would that be? That would be so awesome and so important. And I, I totally would want to see a world where self-changing catheters would be a thing. And so from there, they make a bunch of weird penis jokes because he has to do the catheter and it's, he has to touch his penis and they kind of make like, oh, you've got to touch your penis, it's weird. And I, like, I think that humor is very real and those jokes do come out. If you're doing care with somebody for the first time and you want to make them comfortable, that humor does definitely uh, happen. And so then, as he's doing the catheter, <laughs> Philip gets an erection. And gets turned on. Um, and this might be different for folks who experience spinal cord injury. But I have them play with my penis every day when they're doing catheters. And I don't get an erection. I think I've trained myself to be really compartmentalized in what my care is. And what care is versus what sexy time is. And I think I've really taught myself to, to, not, to not even allow myself to consider that I might get aroused because it's care. And so I, I, it might be different for people who have spinal cord injury. That isn't my experience, but I certainly don't get an erection when they, when they do my care. So then as this is all happening, Philip says, Oh, I have other ways of, of getting turned on. You know, you could touch my earlobes, you could touch other erogenous zones. And then like, you could do this. And I thought that was really important because, as we know, so many people with disabilities who can't access their genitals or can't get off in the the same way have different erogenous zones and their, and their brains are wired different ways so they can find pleasure. And I felt like that was really... They made it kind of into a joke in this scene, but I felt it was really important for them to bring up and to talk about. So then in the next scene, Dell gets 
um, Philip a massage from two sex workers, and they both have massages together in the same room, which I felt was a bit weird. If I was with my attendant and we were friends and we're hanging out, and I wanted to employ or work with a sex worker, I wouldn't be like, hey, attendant, stay in the same room to also get a get a handy or get a massage or get a or get you know a blowjob I wouldn't be like stay with me while that's happening that's definitely where I cross the line for some reason in this scene they're getting pleasure together and it just felt kind of like that's not something that I would ever do with my attendant care worker it would just be really really inappropriate and cross a lot of boundary lines that I wouldn't do and I, I know they were doing it for TV and showing that they're becoming friends, but I really wouldn't get any kind of sexy massage with my attendant, like, in the room also doing that. Very weird. So then the next scene is Philip takes Dell to the opera, and you can see them, you can see their friendship grow a little bit, and you can see them, like, making jokes about the opera, and I think this is really important. Not, not the opera part, like, I'm never gonna have enough money or privilege to take my attendant care worker to an opera. But I do think it's important that attendant care workers and clients do social stuff together, do fun stuff together so that, that they can build a relationship. And I think we don't see this enough and this kind of stuff doesn't happen enough in, in real attendant care day to day, at least where I live and the kind of programming that I live in. I don't get to have that kind of day-to-day experience they're very very strict on the boundaries they place on us and I feel like doing stuff together with staff builds the trust and I would love to be able to do that with staff but I don't I don't have that uh the that privilege so then we see Dell the attendant care worker fixing Philip's wheelchair and that does happen a lot that's that's true I think attendance I will never call them life auxiliaries. I think attendants often have to become good at so many different aspects. Care, but also wheelchair repair, but also mobility device repair, but also like, you know, they have to become your advocate. Also, there's so many different facets of being an attendant care worker that it didn't surprise me to see him fixing his wheelchair and making it a little bit cooler and different. And that does happen quite a lot. I have my attendants fix my chair all the time. Um, and that is, that was very realistic. And then after he fixes his wheelchair up, we see Dell riding on the back of Philip's wheelchair as they go out and do stuff. And I thought that was really kind of cute because my mom and I do that. When I have, when I had a different kind of power chair, my mom used to ride on the back of my chair all the time. We used to like go out and do that. And it was silly and a silly thing we used to do, but it did, it did bring us closer. And I think they're showing all these scenes to show these two characters really getting to know each other. And I, I thought it was cute. And then we see Philip talk about Lily. At the beginning of the movie, he gets a letter from someone and he says, I'll throw it out. But it's a letter from Lily, which is a, a woman he's been sending. The words he used is they have an epistolary relationship, which is like they write each other in these poetry prose and it's really kind of like douchey and super like bougie and so he he's writing this girl Lily and Del is there and Del's like oh you should definitely get to know her you should you, you should call her she left her phone number on 
one of these letters. You should call her. And um, Philip is like, no, no, please don't call her. No, 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 no. And so Dell steals the phone and call and and calls her. And I felt like this was again kind of inappropriate because if I, as the disabled person, said don't do that. Even if we're friendly, if I said don't do that, you have to respect my boundaries. And I feel like when you're, when you are the attendant and I say no, and I say don't do that, you have to listen to me. No matter what it is, if I say no, you have to listen to me. And then Philip talks about what might happen if he meets Lily and what happens when she sees the wheelchair and how she's gonna feel if they, if they meet each other and she, can't handle his wheelchair and I think that narrative is something that's really true so many of us with disabilities have this fear and this pang of doubt that if they realize just how disabled we are they're not going to want to date us and really that pang of fear is why it's why I don't date very much honestly and why I work predominantly with sex workers because I don't want to go through that rejection constantly it's really hard it's not easy so then they take Dell's son out for a hot dog or for lunch or something in the next scene. And Dell was an absentee kind of father to this boy. And seeing Dell with Philip and giving him care, they intimate that like, now that, now that Dell's done care for somebody, he's more caring. And there's this, there's a part in the scene where he's feeding Philip ice cream and his son's on the other side, and he, like, wipes his son's mouth and then feeds Philip ice cream, and then they get the son, Dell, and his son get closer because of the care that he's providing for Philip, and it, it felt a bit cheesy. It felt a bit problematic, and it was like, oh, yeah, it was super inspiration porn because you now understand care. You can be more caring to your kid, and I got it, but it was a bit annoying. And then the next scene, they throw Philip a surprise party because it's his birthday, and he gets angry because he specifically says he didn't want any anything for his birthday. And he talks about how there are so few things that he can control in his life, and he wished that they had listened to him. And even though I was ready to hate the film and I was ready to hate watch it, there were so many moments where me as a disabled person felt that way. And again, I really wish they had given this role to a disabled actor because... It would have made it so much more real and honest and all these emotions that he's bringing up, which he as a non-disabled actor has to feign for, a disabled person would know how to tap right into these feelings of losing control and, and having only a little bit of control in your life. A disabled actor would know immediately how that feels and it would be so much more authentic. So then, during all his anger about losing control, Dell and Philip get into a fight, and they start fighting with each other, and they start being angry with each other, and and they start saying, like, he's like, oh, I'm really mad, I'm mad, and so somehow, during the fight, I don't know how this happened, but somehow during the fight, Dell sees that Philip is really angry and knows he wants to, like, break stuff and throw stuff, and so... Dell takes stuff that Philip tells him and like smashes it on the ground for him 
And I guess it was cathartic. And I kind of wish there were moments where when I was really angry and I couldn't throw stuff and I couldn't, like, physically express my anger, that somebody could do that for me. And I felt like that would be really cool if when I'm having an emotion, somebody could just come in here and break stuff with me so that I felt better. I would love if my attendant would do that for me when I'm feeling angry. And when, I, when I'm when i feeling upset about ableism and all the things, it would be really great if I could just smash stuff. So then they get high together and they go high, they go out in the party high. And I thought that was really fun. Like I said earlier, I, I've gotten high with my attendants and it can definitely be really, really fun to get like, to get totally wasted with your attendants can be really, really fun. It's really rare, but it can be fun. And when I was in my twenties, I definitely a hundred percent did that. So then Lily calls him during the party and says, I'm going to be in New York. I'd like to see you. And he goes, oh, you want to have a date? Okay, great. And then after he hangs up with her, he's like, should I tell her about the wheelchair? And these are real questions that disabled people worry about. But again, I feel like they would be a lot stronger if they were coming from a real, authentically disabled actor. Coming from Brian Cranston, they just feel contrived. And I didn't love that part. So the next scene is Dell and Philip are at Philip's date, and I like that Philip brought Dell on the date with him. I feel like I feel like in the past I might have said, I don't know if I want my attendant care person on a date with me, but now as my needs change and I'm starting to need more things from my attendant care workers, I would say that if I were on a date, I would want my attendant there. I'd want my attendant to be with me for at least the first 10-15 minutes to make sure I was okay. But I would also like them, them there because then my date can really see the reality of my experience. And I'm sure I said somewhere maybe on this podcast in the past that I wouldn't want my attendant there, but now I really would. I really would. I want to be like, I want to show my date that this is what you get if you go on a date with me. You're going to have to deal with me and my attendant care worker. This is what it is. And then, so earlier in the film, we saw Dell doing some painting. He's kind of painting as a hobby. And he paints this really kind of crude but funny painting of a, of a polar bear, um, which he entitles, which he calls like the Untitled Zero Project or something like that. And then at the party, um, Philip's snooty friend is like, oh, this is a cool piece who, who, painted this and so Philip is like oh he goes by so many names and so he ends up selling the painting to his snooty friend for like $50,000 and gives Dell the money and is like here's the money that your painting got you um, I will never be rich enough or privileged enough to give my attendant $50,000 off my other rich friend but attendants out there who want to work with me, I will take you out for nice coffee sometime. I bought pizza for all the staff this past summer. Like, I've done things to show my appreciation, but I'll never probably cut you a check for 50 grand. 
So Lily is played by Juliana Margulies, and all I could think when I saw her come in and see him in his wheelchair was, if only she was her character in ER, the awesome nurse Carol Hathaway, she would know what to do, how to help him, and she would know immediately how to be a good date and a carer at the same time. And so Lily comes in, sees Dell, and goes, oh, Dell, it's okay if you leave. And so Dell leaves, and... You can see the awkwardness of Philip needing help on the date, but he gets comfy with her feeding him. That seems to be okay. But then simultaneously, you see him struggle with realizing that he needs help. And that's very, very true. I think when we go on dates with able-bodied people, we can show them parts of what we need help with, but then the more and more we need help, the more and more anxious I get anyway. I get super anxious when I need a lot of help on a date. And... You know, they're talking a bit more, and then he asks her if this is what she expected. And these questions are real. They are real, and they are things that I've asked people before. But I have to say, like with some of the other tropes in the film, they are rather boring to see it in Hollywood films about disability and dating again and again and again and again. And he asks her, so is this what you expected? And unsurprisingly... It isn't what she expected. She says, and this is a phrase in the film that got me really deep, cut me deeply. She says, it's a lot. And I just kind of sighed. I was like, oh, that's the word. No disabled person wants to hear, it's a lot. Your care is a lot. Me needing to help you is a lot. It, none of us ever want to hear this, especially not from somebody we were hoping might be a potential date for us. Of course, Philip is hurt by her saying that it's a lot, and he goes to leave, and he goes to move his chair and leave, and she says she wants to be friends. None of us want to be friend-zoned by a date. I hate it when people say that. It's so dehumanizing and horrible, and that this scene was hard for me to watch. So as Philip is leaving, he bumps into people and gets hot water spilled on himself, and he has to tell the maitre d' and the waiter that he can't feel anything and he has paralysis and you can just see the truth of his disability coming out and how hurt he is that Lily doesn't want anything to do with it or like doesn't really know how to navigate care and it was you can see him being frustrated so then because he's angry Philip lashes out Adele again and says I never should have hired you you're an ex-con how why did I hire you which I felt was kind of mean and kind of unfair, but these kind of lashing, this lashing out happens a lot between attendants and clients, and it happens a lot. I've done it to clients, to attendants that I care about so, so much, and sometimes when you're having high emotions or you're dealing with a lot of ableism throughout your day, these things can happen, and I'm not saying they're right, and I'm not saying it's okay, but I've definitely, definitely done it, but I've never fired um, I've never been like, I'm going to fire you because I'm upset. And I, like I said, I can't fire the staff anyway, but I've never been like, I I don't want to work with you ever again. I've never done that. I think because he was angry, Philip just said, I, want, I don't want to work with you anymore. That's it. And I understand, but um, it kind of sucks because he shouldn't have fired him. 
So Philip fires Dell, and he grieves the loss of that. And you can see that because Dell is not there, he isn't shaving, he's not taking care of himself, he's not eating, and he's really, really kind of upset. And one of my attendants leave, and when they leave the position and I don't see them anymore, I also grieve that loss of losing touch with attendants that did my care, people that wipe my ass every day, people that I got to know and joke with. To see them leave can sometimes be really hard. So Dell uses the money from the $50,000 painting to buy his ex and his son a house. Um, Dell starts working as a wheelchair tech. And I have to say, I don't think I've seen so many power wheelchairs on screen in in media before. That was really cool to see Dell working as a wheelchair tech. Wheelchair techs are awesome people. They really know a lot about chairs, and I think it was really cool to see that from his experience with Philip, he wanted to work in as a as a wheelchair tech. So as he's working as a wheelchair tech one day, the physical therapist Maggie comes in and tells Dell that Philip is in bad shape. And then we're back right at the first scene where the cops pulled them over. We're back there. And so... Philip and Dell drive into the morning. They go to a place to see paragliding, reminding the audience that Philip was once like them and once normal and once could do all these things, which I felt was really inspiration porny and kind of gross. But they have, they do this all the time in Hollywood films about disability. They always be like, remember? He was normal once, remember? And so they did this here. And then Dell takes Philip adaptive paragliding, um, which I thought was cool. And I wonder, because spinal cord injury and, and becoming disabled through an accident is not my experience. Do those of you who acquired your disability through an accident, do you want to do the thing? Like if you had, if you had an accident with a horse or through, or through paragliding, do you want to go back when you're disabled and do the thing? Again, do you want to do that? Please let me know. Write into disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com and let me know if that's your experience. And then they they play with Dell shaving Philip's beard and I thought that was important because, again, they show finding the humor in the care and finding the humor in needing help. And I have a an attendant that shaves me all the time and he makes... He puts funny things in my scruff and makes it look funny and it is a really intimate thing and it is a really fun thing when you're care workers and you can play like that and then so after they shave him and make him look normal again um Dell and Philip paraglide together and that's the end of the movie that's basically it I want to talk now a little bit about um the real story and so I found this on the internet and it says the Upside True Story reveals that the real-life paragliding accident happened in the Savoyard Reliefs of Mont Bazaine in the Swiss Alps in 1993 when Philippe was 42. He had been distracted by thoughts of workers he had laid off and hadn't been paying attention enough to what he was doing, and as a result, he crashed. Philip remained in the hospital for two years, 
before he was able to go home. At the same time, his wife was dying of cancer, which they talk a little bit about in the film. And so, Philippe's real caregiver had been in jail. Um, and so, his real caregiver's name was Abdel Yasmin Salou, Salou, who inspired Kevin Hart's character, and he was a career criminal from Algeria who'd been in prison for nearly two years before he got into care. And so it was a real story, and it was a real person, and there, there were real people involved. And so maybe, you know, I, I just wish they would have gone to him and said, like, we want to cast a disabled actor here. But I can understand that if you are, if you're wanting people to see your story, you want marketability of a non-disabled actor. I get, and he was probably excited when they were like, we want to cast a really famous person to be you. Like, I'm sure he was excited, even though I think they should have cast a non-disabled actor. And so I talked earlier about why Brian Cranston bothered me throughout the film, and I want to read the quote that he wrote, or sorry, the quote that he said when he was critiqued for playing a wheelchair user. He said, We live in the world of criticism. If we're willing to get up and try something, we also have to be willing to take criticism. We're very aware of the need to expand the opportunities for people with disabilities, he said. I think being cast in this role as a quadriplegic really came down to a business decision. Barf. I don't agree with that. I think disabled actors are great business and you should hire them. And I think it's really gross that Brian Cranston said that. And this movie came out in 2019. So it's not like this is a, this happened, happened like 20 years ago and times have changed. This is, this is a current film, and I was so I was just really annoyed with some of the stuff Brian Cranston said, and his character. Well, the character of Philip stuff happened to him that I agree with. I still think a disabled actor would have been the best choice for this. All right, so that's another episode of Great Flex and Joysticks. Thank you for dropping by our themed month. I think next week I'm either going to do Pumpkin with Christina Ricci or I'm going to do, I'm going to really hate watch Sia's disaster trash film music. And I'm going to really, like, I'm going to really gut into it because what Sia did was really gross and I, I want to, I want to like hate watch that film. So it might be, it might be, um, Pumpkin with Christina Ricci, or it might be Sia, Sia's trash film music, um, or something else entirely. Who knows? You'll have to stay tuned to find out. Until next week, stay comfy, cozy, and crippled. Bye! Alright friends, that's another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I was of course your delectable daddy host, Andrew Gerza. Thank you so much for being here, thank you so much for listening, and shining a bright light on disability stories with me. If you want to follow all my work and see all my links and all the cool stuff I'm doing, you can head over to my new website, aagerza.com. And all my stuff is there, my social links are there, my website is there. 
my podcast is there. Everything is there. And you can follow along with the show that way. If you want to leave a review for the show, please do so wherever you get your podcast. It really does help keep the bright lights shining on this show. If you want to support the show financially and get the show one day early, completely ad-free, as well as a shout-out on the air, consider pledging as little as $1 a month or $5 a month or more by going to patreon.com slash disability after dark. Stay comfy, cozy, and crippled, and we'll shine a bright light on disability stories next time. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was created, recorded, and produced by Cripple & Co. Productions and Andrew Gerza. Any and all use of materials, graphics, audio recordings, etc. cannot be used or distributed without express permission. If you would like to use an episode of the podcast or license an episode of the podcast on your website, please consider emailing Andrew Gerza and Crippling Co. Productions at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com. Copyright 2022.